0: Let me go ahead and uh, pray to get us started. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that we woke up this morning as children of the King. And we praise you that we have full access to your throne to come and sit at your feet to um, enjoy you, to know you better, to learn from you, to be changed and transformed by you. Lord, we pray that you would do that. Well, Lord, we pray that this class would help us uh, all to grow as parents. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, if you look at your sheet, and on uh, the back side, we've talked about God's purpose for the family, to image, uh, many very important things, and the nature of God, So in other words, the first and second persons of the Trinity are called father and son in scripture. That points us to the family and the family points to God. Um, Also, we've talked about how um, the primary way that we're to relate to God is as adopted children. It's another way that the family images Christianity or shows that Christianity is inherently family-like and that our primary relationship with one another in the church is as brothers and sisters. So we're a family together and we will be eternally. So the family is where these kinds of biblical categories are formed and our homes contain relationships that point to the nature of God, the gospel, and the church. We uh, also talked about the ministry of the family, the ministry of the family to the church. and we talked about the ministry of the church to the family as well. And then last week, we talked about family worship. The idea that family worship, although it's not expressly commanded in scripture, it sure seems like a very, very wise thing to do. Um, So just like it doesn't say that you need to have a daily quiet time in the Bible anywhere specifically, we know that that's really, really wise to spend regular time in God's Word and so the same is true for families that we should as families if we're wise gather our families around God's Word and singing and praying together regularly in uh, a formal structured family worship time is very very wise and helpful but then also we also talked about how uh, basically discipleship and evangelism happens 24-7 24-7 in our families as parents. We're, because back in the book of Deuteronomy, God commands the Israelites, uh, the parents, to teach their children as they walk along the way, as they lie down, when they get up, to um, write scripture on the doorposts of their house. In other words, they're supposed to live their whole lives in light of God's presence and the need to teach children constantly. So we talked about that family worship, a formal time, and also informal evangelism and discipleship in the family. And so this week we're going to talk about getting to the heart of behavior. So we're going to, we're going to really begin to get into the details of the parent-child relationship and what's most important. Um, really the most important question that I think you need to answer as a parent, or we need to answer, as parents, is this. What is the highest goal that God wants for me to have as a Christian parent with my child? What's the highest goal? Because you want to be parenting with that in mind all the time. Now, some people might say that their highest goal for their children is to get a good education and then to get a good job and be financially secure. Or they might parent towards having their children be good citizens in the community, oftentimes for their own acclaim. Parents might that. so that their children are upstanding citizens, so to speak. Or some parents, especially where I'm from, they actually want to parent their children towards being skilled athletes who achieve great things in sports My country is obsessed with sports.
1: Um,
0: I watched uh, a college football game, not soccer, but the other kind of football, American football, uh, last night, and there were 105,000 people in this stadium watching this college football game. I think it's most of those people's religion, um, actually. So, no, are those the goals that we should have as parents? Well, I think the obvious answer is no, right? Those are not goals that we should have. Now, that doesn't mean you can't teach your child sports or teach them to be good citizens or help them have a good education. Those are all good other goals, but they shouldn't be our primary goal. The highest goal of a Christian parent is to parent in such a way that they come to believe in Christ and grow in Christ. Because if they don't, they will go to hell. They will not spend eternity with God. Our greatest goal is to see them come to know Christ and grow in Christ. And so parents must regularly ask themselves, am I parenting towards that goal or some lesser goal? So even, even as perhaps you teach your children sports, you want to keep the goal of them becoming Christians and following Christ and being godly as the highest goal even in the midst of teaching them sports. So you want to teach them how to be a Christian athlete. Or you want to teach them that all knowledge is God's knowledge and so their education and whatever they do with their lives in terms of vocation needs to be for the glory of God. So all those other goals need to fall under and be influenced by the goal of seeing our children come to Christ and live for him. Now, of course, you know that we would teach in this, in this church and I think every biblical church should teach that salvation is a work of God, right? So you can't make your children become Christians. We, we don't do that. God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who draws people to himself. And so salvation is a work from beginning to end of God. And if our children come to know Christ and grow in Christ, of course, God will get all the credit. God will get all the credit. And yet, God uses means. God uses means. Tobin, could you turn on... Um, those air conditioners, by the way. Yeah, just they're on, but just drop the uh, temperature setting on the side. Yeah. No, it's on the other side. You know how to? Carson will do it. Yeah. Thanks. So God, God uses means to lead people to Christ. He uses other people. He uses Bibles or uh, even YouTube videos uh, about Christianity to lead people to Christ. And so God has given us a special role as parents to be the potential means through whom they will come to know Christ. So what does parenting toward conversion and Christian growth from our children's earliest years look like. That's what we're gonna talk about, some of the very basics of that this morning. And uh, if you'll look at this, this is the um, third bullet point on that first page, our goals for our children. To begin with, our children will need to learn what it means to live under God's loving authority to live under God's loving authority. You can add that to to the, um, this says training them to be people under authority. And I, I just added to live under God's loving authority. So just as we as Christians live under God's loving authority as his adopted children, so our children need to live under our authority as parents. So very practically then, our goal, really in the ages of roughly zero to five years old, is establishing our loving authority in their lives. So we're teaching them obedience. We're teaching them obedience. And, you know, of course, uh, a, a scripture that would, that would reveal that or point to that would be Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And of course, Paul is quoting uh, one of the Ten Commandments. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, that doesn't mean that from the time that they're little babies that we're not sharing the very basic, components of the gospel with them from an early age it's not just that we're teaching them uh, to live under our loving authority so they learn to live under God's loving authority so we'll be teaching them that God created everything I mean think of children's books that you know of Christian books that teach these very basic things now that's important too but learning to that they live under your loving authority sets the stage for them to learn that they live under God's loving authority and to therefore realize that they have a sinful bent to disobey God. And that will pave the way, God willing, for them to come to Christ. Because unless they realize that they're sinners and that their only solution to their sin is to trust in Christ and his sacrifice for them on the cross, and then to be transformed by him, they won't come to know Christ. They, so they have to understand God's loving authority, and they're bent to disobey it. Then as uh, a child, and I'm typically going to speak about a child here. I know many of you have many children, and we're praying for even more for all of you, whether you want them or not. Um... As a child gets older, many parents continue to parent with, the, own, with the, the sole goal of living under authority. In other words, they simply want their children to obey them. Don't make my life, don't make trouble for me in my life. If you obey me, you're doing the right thing all the way up until they, when they perhaps leave the house. But children ages 6 to 12, let's say, and I'm speaking roughly, We'll, of course, be confronted with situations that can't be reduced to issues of obedience. You're not going to be there all the time with them to tell them what to do or what not to do. So as they grow older, we don't stop teaching them that they live under our loving authority. but We want to add the goal of seeing them grow in character. So that's that second bullet point there under our goals for our children. Seeing them grow in character. So growing in character then would become kind of a primary goal that we should shift to roughly between the ages of 6 to 12. We'll call that childhood. So in other words, when I say character, what I mean is that you want your child to begin to learn things like dependability and honesty and kindness and loyalty and self-control and humility and moral purity. And you could probably add to that list as well. These are all virtues, Christian virtues even. And thirdly, so that's, that would be a second phase primary goal as our children grow older. And just briefly, I'm gonna mention a primary goal for the teenage years. I don't have that written there on your sheet, but you can add it. And that's basically from 13 and up. And that is to grow in wisdom through fearing the Lord. To grow in wisdom through fearing the Lord. So those are Those are kind of three phases of parenting with some different primary goals. Training them to live under loving authority of you and ultimately of God, helping them grow in character, and then ultimately growing in wisdom through the fear of the Lord as they're teenagers. And so, remember, the ultimate goal we're parenting toward is that we want our children to become worshipers of God and by God's grace to serve alongside us as growing Christian adults in the church. That's what we want as Christians. Now, uh, I wanna go back and we're gonna focus um, more specifically on that first phase of of, uh, parenting. First stage of parenting, teaching them what it means to live under loving authority, ours and God's. God's designed us to live under loving authority, both human authority, of course, that images his authority uh, and of course, ultimately his authority, divine authority. God-given authority carried out in God's ways, protects and teaches it leads those under its authority to flourish. God intended authority carried out in His ways to lead to human flourishing. And so um, I I like to uh, point to one uh, couple particular verses in Second Samuel. These are um, the last words of King David before he died. Maybe not. Exactly before he expired, but uh, last words, some of the last words that he wrote. It's in 2 Samuel 23, verses uh, 3 and 4, or 3b and 4. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? You know, David was saying, when you rule justly over people, you know, sanctioned by God and in God's ways, it is a blessing to people. That's what God intended. Authority to be good. And, of course, we know that oftentimes in the world now, authority is looked down on. It's looked on as inherently bad. But that's not true. The Bible tells us otherwise. But, this is true, but when parents try to teach obedience to their children for their own good, we often get it wrong. We often get it wrong. I'm going to uh, quote probably pretty often in this course from the book called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. I believe it's available in the bookstore Uh, in the Bible Society he says he gets it right when he says that we often wrongly focus as parents too much on outward behavior usually reacting to just stop what we don't like in the behavior of our children and this makes sense Tripp points out because the behavior of course is just what has gotten our attention it's, it's the immediate pressing problem for us. And of course, it's the most pressing battle for parents of small children. And um, it can continue into the other stages as well. <laughs> um, but if our goal is imaging adoption as children of God, notice that this approach by itself will fall short. It falls short. Think about this question. Is God simply concerned with our outward behavior as adults? What do you think is the answer? No. No. Absolutely not. What is God most concerned about with us? If it's not our simply our outward behavior? Our heart. Yeah, God God is concerned about our hearts. So likewise, we should be concerned not just with the behavior of our children, but why are they misbehaving? Why are they disobeying? And we need to help them learn the connection between their heart and their behavior. Because ultimately that will lead to us being able to explain the gospel properly if we're simply parenting toward behavior modification, then the gospel won't make sense. The gospel will be something completely different than what we're teaching them about how to live. Because the gospel says our heart is our problem. So if we don't focus on the why, on where the behavior comes from, we won't help our children see that they have actually idols in their heart. If we don't help them see that the heart is the control room of a person, then we won't be able to effectively share the gospel with them because their heart will always be under the control of their sinful nature. So this morning, for the rest of the time, then, we want to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the importance of the heart, We're going to, I'm going to talk about some examples of how to, as it were, take aim out at the heart in our parenting, and then consider some common questions about heart-centered parenting. Let me, um, let me stop right there for just a moment. I've gone about 20, 20, 24, 25 minutes. Do you have any questions? Any questions about this or a comment, a brief comment? (laughs) Do these things ring true for you when you think about scripture and what God teaches us in his word?
1: Right, I think the natural, I think the natural mind to
2: think, oh, but, you know, culturally this wouldn't work out.
0: Culturally what? Culturally
2: this, this practice doesn't work out. Yeah. Uh,
0: In what way? Tell me, tell me what, tell me. I at
2: the at the Indian Council, I'm often, we're often told, uh, authority comes with uh, good behavior. Or authority is best displayed by producing good behavior.
0: Authority, say that, say that again? So,
2: authority, so parents' yeah. authority yeah. is most visibly displayed yeah. when their children exemplify good behavior. Sure. Um, and so, this obviously, I mean, it's contradictory to what where you're
0: turning, uh, with what maybe my culture feels and teaches. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, it's pretty easy and tempting to think, well, you know, but the Bible doesn't necessarily speak to my cultural context. Yeah. and how
2: I think about
0: this. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's dangerous to say that any culture, that the Bible doesn't speak to any particular culture or doesn't speak to this particular culture, but it does speak to this culture. Actually, the same is true in the West for me. Um, so uh, in the West, uh, you don't hear secular people talking about getting to the heart when they talk about behavior. They only talk about behavior. Um, so even though there are cultural differences between societies all over the world, um, there, there really aren't any that talk about changing the heart because most cultures are only concerned with outward behavior. Um, so I would say that, you know, God's word tells us about the human condition, not just about Western or Eastern or African or European. Um, it tells us about the human condition. Everybody, everywhere, in all times and places, where there's human beings, scripture will be true. So, yeah, we certainly want good behavior, right? God desires obedience. The scriptures are really clear about that. But he wants obedience from the heart. Um, Paul talks oftentimes, you'll see the phrase in Scripture, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. So faith is a thing that that comes from the heart. So he's talking about obedience to the faith um, that produces true righteous behavior that truly pleases God because it originates from faith.
1: Yeah?
0: Yeah. Good. Well, I mean, that's an excellent question. Any, any others? Yeah, Sanjana. Brian, um, right, you
1: said, like, i just really sure that God is concerned about our heart, yeah. like not just our behavior. Yeah. But just, like, just want to know in every day, like, we haven't reached that yet, but if a child disobeys or is showing, then in my head, first is, like, you discipline them for their behavior. Yeah. But how... Like what should, what should be a, like a general pattern of like showing that child that, okay, your behavior is being disciplined, but also I am concerned about what is behind that and how does it look like in, I mean, it would look definitely different, but like a general way of like that we are more concerned about our heart. Yeah. How do I approach that?
0: Yeah, we're, we're going to talk about that. And that's really the content of the courses for the next three or four or five weeks. So he's talking about that. It's a great question. Um, Kate, did you have a question?
2: I think I think my question might be answered, so I'll
0: hold it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Tobin.
2: So
1: you said about the teenage phase to grow and invest in food, hearing the Lord. Um,
0: yeah, for the teenage years. Yeah.
1: So what are some ways you can do that? Like what are some types of things to help our children or the teenage teenagers to grow in the fear of the Lord?
0: You know, I'm not prepared to go there this week. (laughs) Brian has a lot of experience. (laughs) Uh, I do have some experience in that area. Um, Yeah, I certainly think... um, I think it's assumed that by the time you get to the teenage years, you've been parenting with these other goals in mind. To get there. So you've got a bit of a challenge if you haven't parented from the very beginning with heart-driven obedience as the goal in the earliest years to teach a child that they live under God's loving authority just as much as they live under, you know, and they live under your loving, by virtue of showing that they li- live under your loving authority, and then teaching them character so someone, a child that hasn't been, you can't just jump in at the very, in the teenage years, having not taught these other things as groundwork and skip all of them. Now, I don't mean to discourage you if that's the case for, for you. Or I wouldn't want to discourage someone to say that, oh, it's impossible. Okay, you've got a 16 year old and you, You look back and you have just, you have huge regrets about parenting. Maybe you weren't a believer yourself, and you parented poorly through those years. Now you've got a teenager. You really need to kind of combine a lot of what you wanted to teach in those early years, um, kind of in a crash course of parenting, because you've only got a few more years, really, until you're, your authority over them greatly is greatly diminished. So anyway, that's, kind of a, that's not the case that, I'm, that I want to kind of start with. Um, but anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll come back to that. We'll come back to that later. Not later today, though. <laughs> um, so let's, let's push on to the next heading, which is at the top of the inside of the your sheet, which is the importance of the heart. Why is it foolish to focus merely on behavior? I mean, I've already described it to some degree, but what answers would you all give? Why is it foolish to simply focus on behavior? It's not a
2: real indicator of what's really in the
0: heart. Yeah. You can
1: obey without, you know, necessarily obeying the
0: heart. Yeah, that's right, yeah you can actually get some some kind of behavior modification, behavior change, but not ultimately see them understand why they're misbehaving um, and be able to do anything about it. So, So in other words, the behavior is really just a symptom. You think about it when you think about medicine, for example, it's just treating the symptom. You know, you might be having um Epileptic uh, fits or or spells of uh you know and you might just try to treat that, but in what in reality what 's happening is there 's a tumor inside that 's actually causing it, and if you don 't address that, then uh, you might be able to modify or maybe tamp down some of those uh outside or external symptoms but not actually change the situation or Ted Tripp uses a metaphor that maybe we'll continue to use uh, this morning, and he says, it's like having an apple tree in your yard that only produces unhealthy, bad apples, fruit. Now, this is a helpful metaphor because it's kind of a biblical metaphor, right? I suppose that the um, disease and symptom one is also a biblical metaphor to some degree, but even more so... The idea of imagining you have an apple tree in your yard produces unhealthy bad apples. And so you fix the tree by buying new apples, and you just hang them on the tree, maybe, with fishing line. Okay? You're not changing the nature of the tree. You're, you're really just putting on a show. So in that case, our children's behavior is telling us something about their hearts, because all behavior flows from the heart. So that second subpoint under the importance of the heart is that the heart is the wellspring of behavior or you could call it the control center of behavior. Behavior reveals what we worship. Behavior reveals the heart. So Proverbs 4:23 says, "Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life." That's Proverbs 4:23. I'm going to I'm going to read these out. Normally, I would have some of you all read them out, but I'm a little concerned that I'm not going fast enough. Um, Out of our our lives flow out of our hearts, revealing what we worship, what we fear, what we trust, what we hope in, what entices us. Um, And honestly, this, of course, this is that we have to know this as adults, right? If we're going to live in the fear of the Lord and live to please the Lord. We don't simply want to change our behavior. We want to see our hearts (coughs) changed. Or we might might look, of course, to Jesus. Jesus taught in Mark 7, uh, 21, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, evil, slander, arrogance, and folly. That's a lot of bad stuff coming out of your heart. And when we even want to do those things, even before we do them, it's evidence that it's in our heart. And so Ted Tripp says in Shepherding a Child's Heart, what your children do and say is a reflection of what's in their hearts. Or Luke six forty-five, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So when I get really angry in the car on Sheikh Zayed Road, (laughs) um, and thank the Lord, I can't remember the last time I did that. But I have felt it well up in my heart. (laughs) Then I know it's that's in my heart. That's evidence of impatience and a demand for my rights over and against other people's rights. Um, so do you see why this is important to know for God's <clears throat> parenting? Really important to know. So we, we must not view our children's misbehavior or the misbehavior of children in our care strictly as an inconvenience for us. Like oftentimes when our children misbehave, the biggest thing that I remember feeling is embarrassment in front of other people. It's like, you're embarrassing me, and that makes me really angry. It's not even so much that I'm concerned for your heart. It's that I look bad, and you're going to get punished because I look bad. Um, and that is not a, that's not a reason to, to, to punish our children or to mete out uh, consequences for their misbehavior. Now, let me just say right, right here now and stop and say, it's important to note that all other religions generally teach that children are innocent from birth. All other religions teach, including kind of secularism, which would claim to not be a religion, but bears all the hallmarks of a religion itself. To claim to have no religion is to actually have a religion. <laughs> Um, yeah, so for example, Islam teaches this. For in Islam, Islam would teach that children are innocent, they're fundamentally is innocent, and that they only learn to misbehave, And so the, the way to correct them and reform them and see them changed is simply to teach them. It's simply education. Learn the rules. Learn the rules and whip yourself into shape to obey the rules. Um, I mean, and this is, this is all over the world. So uh, a survey that was recently taken, I think it was actually in this year, uh, a theological survey by uh, the ministry Ligonier Ministries reported that 66% of people, and I'm sure these, this was in the West, Sixty percent, six percent of people who claim to be Christians said that they believed that children were born innocent of sin. Wow. That is just absolutely not what the Bible teaches. So, you know, David wrote in the Psalms, in iniquity, I was born in Psalm 51. Uh, The Proverbs say that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And folly in the biblical sense is not just kind of silliness. Folly is sin. Foolishness in the book of Proverbs is sin. So the Bible teaches us otherwise. Our children are born in sin. Sadly because of our parents long back Adam and Eve. And that completely changes how we should parent. So the second point there is that our parenting is often designed to control behavior, unfortunately. Our children act based on what's in their heart and yet our parenting is often designed to simply control behavior rather than address the heart. So when a child in our care disobeys do we think about what that says about their heart or what they're worshiping? Now, I know that I found that oftentimes, even though I knew this really fundamental biblical concept that the heart was what drove behavior, that I found myself in my parent, parenting constantly slipping back into behavior control, just external behavior control. And that is a dangerous slide. And you really, I think, as parents are going to have to be constantly thinking about that. Because guess what? Getting to the heart, getting to your child's heart, is much more difficult. It's much more difficult. It requires, it requires more time. It requires more insight. It requires discernment. It requires patience. And really, ultimately, if we slide back into simply controlling behavior, really their ability to, to essentially understand the gospel, their gospel need for heart transformation is going to be at stake. It's going to be in jeopardy. So, Ted Tripp says, a change in behavior that does not stem from a change in heart is not commendable, it is condemnable. It's condemnable Condemnable. It's to be condemned if we just change their behavior. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for honoring God in their behavior while rejecting him in their hearts. So when we focus solely on outward behavior, we're actually teaching our children to become Pharisees. And what does that look like from the very earliest ages? Well, it looks like bribery, for example. If you'll be good in the store today, mommy will buy you a candy bar. Okay, so what are you doing? You're taking an apple and you're hanging it on the tree. The tree with, that's, that's bad. Or maybe a random penalty. All right, the next time you say, shut up, you're going to have to put a dollar in this jar. Okay, that's just hanging an apple. Um, guilt or manipulation. Oh, it makes me so sad when you disobey. You've ruined my day. Hang an apple. Fear of man is another way that we go at it, fall into it. That's it. I've had it. You've been doing this all day and you won't listen. You're going to get it now. Okay? So you're, you're just forcing it through intimidation. That's hanging an apple on the tree. Or just mere forced obedience. Okay? Say you're sorry. Share the toy. Hang an apple. You're just hanging an apple. Now, I'm not saying that um, there's some of these statements that might be true. Not uh, certainly others that are completely out of bounds, I think, with, in terms of heart-centered parenting. But... We'll move on then to C, uh, or it's listed as C. It's actually just the, the next point, um, examples of how to reach the heart. Um, no, actually, this is, uh, this, is, this is actually under that point that says, of course, we must control behavior, but that must not be the whole story. We want to get to the heart. So anyone, uh, any of you who have cared for children or been around children might ask a really important question. If I have this child in front of me and I can't get to their heart, don't I still need to control their behavior? And the answer to this is really, really important and we're going to have a whole class on it next week, another class devoted to how to do it. Um, But this morning I want to offer just a couple brief responses to that question. First of all, yes, we do need to control behavior. We're the authority in our children's lives. And as God's agent, we're commanded to discipline them for their own good, to save them from death. So in other words, when you say you disobeyed, here are the consequences that are painful for you, whatever those consequences might, they might be actually physically painful for them, um, if it's spanking or... um, as they get older, I know with um, uh, my third oldest daughter and her husband, Caleb and Leah, um, they were finding that they were just um, spanking continually like five, six, seven times in a row. It just wasn't working there was no there, there was no change, even though and they also were trying to get to the heart um, and my suggestion was maybe consider another form of consequence that's a different kind of pain. Something, uh, maybe uh, uh, taking something away that's a treasure to them for some period of time. So anyway, we we do need to control behavior and it is important for there to be consequences. I mean, that's a part of the gospel, right? There's consequences for our sin. We are alienated from God, cut off from Him, and we will spend eternity cut off from Him. Um, and we experience the consequences of our sin in this in this life, and we talk about how sin leads to death. But we're not advocating simply thinking and reasoning with our children about their hearts. That's not the only thing we do. Behavior, behavior must be corrected. What we're advocating is going beyond that to determine what's causing the behavior. So you go a step beyond that uh, and help the child see ultimately that what is in their heart is what's bringing about the disobedience. And so Ted Tripp says, what must you do in correction and discipline? You must require proper behavior. God's law demands that. You cannot, however, be satisfied to leave the matter there. You must help your child ask the questions that will expose the attitude of the heart that resulted in wrong behavior. How did his heart stray to produce this behavior? In what characteristic ways has his inability or refusal to know, trust, and obey God resulted in actions and speech that are wrong? So yes, we certainly do want to correct behavior, but faithfully imaging God for our children and to lead them to Christ, we need to go beyond that. So we're gonna come back to this question at the end. So what does it look like to reach the heart? Let's look at just a couple examples for maybe some children that are very young, and then we'll pause for questions. So examples of how to reach the heart. So for example, maybe you have one-year-old Jack. He's fussing about not getting to play with a dangerous utensil. You know, a sharp knife. (laughs) And he's, uh, so he immediately goes into a tantrum. Do you give, do you as a result uh, bow to his desires and you let him play with the dangerous knife? Well, the obvious answer is no. Do you try to distract a one-year-old with a safe toy? Now, I would say that that might be early on in a child's life a not so bad tactic at the very beginning to distract them, but that's only gonna last for so long. Because you want, you, you, you can't live your life constantly distracting your child from disobedience. They'll, they'll disobey far too frequently for you to actually be able to do that. <laughs> You'll just get exhausted. Or do you gently discipline the one-year-old and speak to the child about having a, what it's like to have a fussy heart. God does not want us to have fussy hearts. This child, like every one-year-old at heart, struggles with pride, insubordination, and an impatient complaining spirit. Yes, it's in its early stages. <laughs> Unfortunately, it will blossom into really ugly impatience <laughs> and insubordination, but you've all seen it if you have children. So even at that age, we need to start speaking of the heart. If you are practicing it then, it's not, going to, it's not going to necessarily change then, but it will begin to diagnose the problem for them. Or for example, consider a two-year-old who's continually dropping food off the tray. You put food on the tray, they take the food, they drop it off. It's a game, right? <laughs> um, Do you stop feeding the child? No, you can't do that. You sit and feed them by hand so that they have nothing to drop or give them food they love so they won't drop it. That's simply changing their behavior. Or do you thank God for giving you the food ahead of time at the time of dropping? You discipline and then explain that God made food and God doesn't want us to waste what he gives us. Now, there might be consequences. You may have to You may have to enforce some punishments for that. Um, But even at that early age, beginning to teach why they're disobeying is important. We don't want to have wasteful, unthankful hearts for what God has provided for us. Or a four-year-old, for example, refuses to share with a sister who's screaming her head off that the toy is hers. Do you rebuke the older child and tell her to give the younger child uh, what she wants? Uh, Do you give the younger child a different toy just to make her happy and not do anything about the older child's lack of uh, an attitude of sharing? No. No. Or do you sit down with both of them and you talk about whether their fight is showing hearts of love for God and others or simply for themselves? And do you uh, even pray about it with them and then possibly remove the toy as a discipline to both of them for the fact that they were living selfishly? That's probably the way to begin uh, heart-centered parenting with a four-year-old. Or six-year-old Michael is interrupting at the table after being told not to do so. Do you have all other children interrupt him to teach him what it's like to be interrupted? No, no, we don't do that. (laughs) That's going the opposite direction, teaching all your children to just do sin against each other. Do you take away his ice cream? Well, maybe that may not be a terrible idea to start with as a consequence. Or do you then go on to explain that if he keeps doing it, he's going to be disciplined and ask him whether his heart is overflowing with love for himself or love for others. And showing that interrupting is a way of asserting selfishness, selfish behavior. So. We could keep going with these little examples, but do you see how in each step you 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 are dealing with the misbehavior, and oftentimes you will have to um, carry out some consequences for this child. But we need to move on past that and begin pointing to their hearts and the sin in their hearts to help them learn that. let me stop there. We're gonna, I'm going to talk about some important questions here as we get towards the end uh, of the class, but let me stop there. Any, any questions? Actually, I'm sure you have tons of questions.
2: Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, like, you talked about bribery sort of as a bad example, and you, and you also talked about how, like, some of these examples you gave, there might be a place for them. I was just trying to think about, like, you know, where is there a place for rewarding good behavior and praising good behavior? Um, mm. I feel like there is, there are examples in scripture where sure. like, God, you know, godliness is rewarded and honored and praised. So I don't know, just like how you think, what are maybe some ways to be careful of doing that? But yeah. is there a place
0: for it? I don't think I don't think that uh, praising a child for obeying. Is um, is bribery? Right,
2: right.
0: Right. I think I think that's that's a good encouragement. We want to do that in the church for one another. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm really encouraged by your obedience in this really difficult trial that you're going through. I'm so encouraged by that, and I just want to thank you for your the example that you're giving me. I mean, that's that's a good thing. I think tying. Um, Tying good behavior to privileges um, it is is probably unhelpful. Um, yeah, um, kind of an example of that is that I think that uh, this is this is true as your children get older. But I think that, um, for example, chores around the house. Uh, Having your children do chores around the house is really important to show them that this is what it's like to be a part of the family. We share responsibilities. Uh, uh, And that I think that giving let's say an allowance or giving money for doing chores I think is really unhelpful. Um, Because I think that you need to do chores just because you're a member of the family.
1: Um,
0: And not to get paid in the family you can do that when you get a job (laughs) um but yeah and maybe there's extra chores you have them do that maybe you want to give some reward for that but uh but yeah i think everybody in the family has responsibilities and we don't get paid for that mom and dad don't get paid for doing chores so you shouldn't get paid for doing chores so that's the kind of i think I think that's a form of bribery, I would say. I don't think that's teaching helpful things. Um, yeah, I think good behavior, I, I just think um, good behavior is its own reward. Um, and and we we certainly need to verbally encourage it. It doesn't mean we, it certainly means, doesn't mean when they, when they dis, uh, disobey, that we r- retract our love from them. But our love is going to come to them in the form of discipline. It's loving to discipline. I mean, Hebrews chapter 10 says that God disciplines those he loves. It's a, I mean, the, the author of Hebrews says, everyone knows that a father who doesn't discipline their children doesn't love their children. Um, yeah. Any other, any other questions? Yeah? How should our discipline change when there's
2: mitigating circumstances? Uh, so what I'm thinking about is with Quinn sometimes, uh, when he's happy and awake and then very disobedient, he's just had, like he's full and satisfied uh, and just openly rebellious. There's definitely situations like that. There's also oh. situations like even just this last week at the conference. Where he had been like dealing with people all day, um, or and he's very tired, he's yeah, very, yeah,
0: like, sure, out
2: of his normal situation, right? yeah, and so I think he definitely seems more prone,
0: to yeah, disobedience. sure, but
2: also it's just like that mitigating, right,
0: right. Your child is just exhausted, yeah, and um, yeah, I think, I think being merciful and gracious in that time, it's probably not going to be the optimum time to try to get to the heart, (laughs) maybe right then and there. Um, And in that case, you know, it's it's merciful and gracious to to kind of remove your child from that situation. So yes, I think I think taking into consideration those circumstances, um, you know, for example, if you go to someone's house Like, people who don't have children in the house, you know, like, that's me. Uh, You know, and I've got all kinds of remote controls over there, and they're about Quinn's height. You know, and I've seen him, like, a a magnet go towards the remote controls, you know, because all children know how to work remote controls. Um, You know, I think...
2: Would it be helpful
0: for me to probably remove the remote controls? Yeah, it probably would. And maybe to say, Quinn, you know, no, you need to obey daddy. Don't touch, don't touch. And maybe you remove some of those temptations um, just as an act of mercy <laughs> for that child. Yeah, listen. This is a
1: different question,
0: so. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, so the answer is yes. I think taken into consideration. Yeah.
2: Brian, right, will you talk about at some point, uh, you know, when you have extended family? Uh-huh. Uh huh. And like your parents and your children, you want to get to the heart, but, you know, they, they are. Forward, yeah, they're,
0: they're, they're not interested in getting to the heart. Yeah. yeah, they're interested in letting them do whatever they want.
1: Or, uh, yeah, or something else.
0: Or something else, yeah. Uh Sure, yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh let's get to that in a in a coming one of the coming weeks. But that's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, I just have one more question as well. Yeah. Um, kind of along Hannah's lines, but you said we're constantly prone to slip into
2: external
1: behavior
2: control. Mm-hmm. Like bribery and things. What are like some practical, helpful things that like
1: you know, like, oh, I am bribing, oh, I am just kind of regulating and using
0: Yeah. What reminded me of that? Um, well, I think when I real, I, honestly, Joanne and I were, were frequently talking about our parenting. And so we were partnering in parenting and, you know, we would have uh, periodic conversations multiple conversations usually through a week about parenting the kids. Maybe it was about specific instances, not kind of big picture, but those were times when we could each um, kind of consider how we're going about it and maybe um, make sure that we're on the same page and that we're both parenting with the heart and mind. So I think kind of both of us watching out for the other one, and that was one way. Um, uh, another, another thing is, I think just, just evaluating sometimes, um, what am I having those little conversations uh, with them about what it means to please God, what pleases God, um, in terms of why they're doing what they're doing so if I noticed myself skipping those conversations too frequently, then I knew I was probably slipping into behavior control.
2: Um,
0: it takes so much
2: time and effort. It takes so that. much time
0: and effort, that's right, yeah, exactly. And oftentimes you have, the, you have to, let's say you're in, the, in a store and your child is having a meltdown. I mean, you may not, be, you, you are going to have to probably you might even have to stop what you're doing, go out to the car, have a conversation in the car. And you might even have to abort the grocery tr- store trip. Um, and yeah, so you're having to, you might have to come back to that after a, a little period of time. Of course, the younger a child is, the less effective that is. They don't remember what they did an hour ago. Um, so yeah. That's a good question. Let me think about that some more, and let me press on uh, into this last section. So just to talk about, uh, answer some common questions about heart-centered parenting. This is uh, the last section on the uh, inside, third page, one, two, three. Um, How can I expect obedience from the heart after all if my child isn't a Christian? If they aren't a Christian, then they can't keep the law. Now that's an excellent and serious question. Um, And your faithful presentation of the gospel depends on getting the right answer. So yes, you must expect obedience from the heart. That's still God's standard. Um, Ted Tripp talks about gospel costs of merely taking a behaviorist approach. He says, Parents sometimes give children a keepable standard. They think if their children aren't Christians, they can't obey God from the heart anyway. For example, the Bible says to do good to those who mistreat you, but when children are bullied in the schoolyard, parents tell them to ignore the bully, or worse, parents tell them to hit others when they're hit first. This non-biblical counsel, which simply deals at the level of your child's misbehavior and drives children away from the cross, it doesn't take grace from God to ignore someone who's bullying you. It doesn't take supernatural grace to stand up for your rights. These are, these are carnal responses. Um, to do good to those who oppress us, or to pray for those who mistreat us, to entrust ourselves to God and His protection and his judgment on others requires a child to come face-to-face with the poverty of their own spirit and their need of the transforming power of the gospel. So think about what it says in Romans. It says that the law came in to actually um, cause the sin to increase. The law reveals our sin, and God gave us the law gave the law to us so that we would recognize our sin. Our sin would become more pronounced. You recognize sin more when you know the Ten Commandments.
1: Um,
0: And of course, we would say that people that don't know God's law, uh, and Romans says this as well, that they have the law to some extent written on their hearts. So even... Non-Christian people have not been exposed to scripture. They have some sense of right and wrong. God's written it on their hearts. So they too will be judged by God. According to that, the law of God is not easy for natural man. Its standard is high and it cannot be achieved apart from God's supernatural grace. God's law teaches us our need of grace. When you fail to hold out God's standard, you rob your children of the mercy of the gospel ultimately. So getting to the heart of behavior is essential to getting to the gospel with our children. We don't want to rob them of that. So we want to hold them to a high standard and teach them God's law. Or we might, you might ask this question, do I do this every time they disobey? And this is kind of, you know, in some ways what you're asking about, uh, Matt, about do we take mitigating circumstances into consideration Um, they're exhausted, they're just strung out. Um, I think the answer is, mostly we do want to try to get to the heart as often as possible. But you may have a moment where you're late to church and there's no time and there's been a lot of disobedience and the child understands the heart issue by now and doesn't need you to walk through the whole thing all over again. At least right then and there at that moment. But even in those situations, we want to mention the heart and how sin is revealed. So you might say, we're late to church, but on the way, I'm going to read Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 3, and talk about whether you showed a heart of honor to me when you yelled and screamed because you didn't like the outfit that I picked out for you. Um... You know, and talk about what it means to have an impatient, demanding, selfish heart. Um, So it does have to happen over and over and over and over again. And you will get really tired. (laughs) Um, Or you might say, this is really, really hard work. I'm working really hard of it. I'm seeing very little fruit. Can you encourage me? (laughs) Help me keep going. Now, listen, I think that's part of the reason why we're in the church together as parents, is to encourage one another in these things, in parenting from the heart. Um, And you'll get more and more comfortable as you faithfully practice this. Um, You'll want to, again, put your heads together as parents and talk about, kind of, Kind of a, a state of the union, a state of the parenting union, so to speak, how are we doing? are we are we trying to get to the heart um, sometimes we would um, when we would go on a date together as a couple, at least one part of that date you know we'd have to get a babysitter um, at least one part of that date was we might talk about what was going, what we saw going on in the heart of each of our children, and of course that gets more complex as your child grows. It's it's much more simple when you have one, two, three-year-old, uh, but it gets more complex and requires more discernment as they get older. Uh, but. Um, Yeah, and I would say, honestly, just an encouragement to fathers that uh, the fathers, you need to really not disengage even if your wife might be on the front lines of parenting because she's there all day long. You need to be parenting in concert with her. Um, And it's really, it's not a legitimate response i think to come home and say hey look i've been working hard really all day i don't have time for this you need to take it well guess what she's been working really hard all day too at parenting um and and so the parenting continues into the evening for for everybody who's a parent in that household so yeah parent uh, husbands don't, don't drop the ball. Don't back out. Stay engaged. Uh, one of, I think, your roles as the head of the family is to lead your wife in talking about parenting and your, how your parenting is going. So it's a long road. Uh, it's years and years and years. Uh, it'll go faster than you think. Um, and um, it's super super important it's one of the one of, one of the greatest uh, privileges and responsibilities that God's given us as parents is to uh, parent them towards trusting in Christ and being transformed by him so that they eventually we pray in God's mercy uh, that they would become um, Christian adults who are actively following God in their lives. And when they do, you know, we might have done all the right things. And, um, and we should still praise God and know that it's all grace, all mercy. Because guess what? There's some really godly people out there who parented as best as they can't could um, with some of these principles in mind. And yet their children aren't following the Lord. Um, so, so we, you know, even if things go well, we need to be humble. Um, and it sounds like maybe we need to draw our class to the close, to the (laughs) close here. So, yeah, 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 always keep in mind, ask yourself that question. What, what is my main goal, my highest goal in parenting my child, and um, extended family, and the culture around you, will oftentimes be wanting you to parent towards different goals than that. Different goals than to parent towards children who trust in Christ and live for Him. All right, I will stop there and just maybe take. It's a. I've got twelve after eleven, so we'll take several minutes. Are there any questions at the end here? Yeah, Kate. Um, What about other people's
1: children? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, can't can't
0: believe they're doing what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) We need some parenting up in that family.
2: Um, uh, is not, uh, yeah, uh, same standards or very different standards of parenting or even just not Christian. Yeah. Like that child is not responsibility for that. Like school or something
0: like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. How do you, in other words, you're asking, how do we deal with other people's children?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when care, hour,
0: two hours, up now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, and I think, you, you know, you certainly, um, like if a child, uh, a child comes over to play with your child, a neighbor child, who's not, comes from a family that aren't believers, have comp- maybe... Different parenting philosophy, you know, as they would if they're not believers. Um, Although sometimes non-Christians can have some semblance by God's common grace to know that they should actually discipline their children uh, toward at least external behavior. Um, I think that uh, when they come under your care, that I think we should... Exercise some authority over them, um, especially when it's in our home, um, or maybe especially when, let's say, at church when we're maybe a teacher in a class and uh, some non-Christians are visiting and their child is in the class. I think we lead with authority and we want to say, no, you can't do that. You mustn't do that. And I'm going to have you sit over here by yourself for a little while um, so that you can gain some self-control. I mean, that you, we do the best we can in those circumstances, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's...
2: So, oh, y- I was going to just say, like, in our children's ministry training for volunteers, we talk about that a little bit because it is hard. Mm-hmm. And I think um, one thing we just, like, make it clear to everyone, like, it's not our role... To discipline children. So, we try and make that really clear for the volunteers. Like, there might be tactics that we use that you wouldn't necessarily use as a parent because you have a unique role as a parent to discipline and train your children. So, for example, in the nursery or in the kids' class, another kid is, you know, trying to hit another kid. We're going to remove them from the situation and distract them rather than discipline. So I think some of the things that you would not want to do as parents, because you want to be faithful, that's, that is a unique role that God's given to parents. So just, that was something I thought of is like, we want to be explicit with, even in, in the church, that like, even though we're trying to come together as a church family and teach kids about the gospel, we can still teach them like, hey, like, that's not kind and that's not allowed here. To do that, but we're not the the punishment or the way you handle it with that child is going to be different because you're not their parent. Yeah. So that's just something just for all of you, you guys as parents as well, just to sort of reassure you that that's something really important that we're trying to teach the volunteers. Um, yeah. That that's not our role. Yeah. You know, if we're not parents. And
0: I think in the case of let's say your own home and you have maybe children coming into the, your home who haven't been parented. Uh, in the way that you're parenting your children, I mean, you might need to decide at some point, you know, we're just not going to have that child come over into our home. Or maybe, even more so, I'm not going to have my child go over to their home. Because they're going to learn really bad behavior. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, and those, that can be, those can be awkward, awkward situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Arun. I'm just
2: saying that you know, from parents' perspective, right, especially as volunteers when they're taken care of in the church and so on, it'll also be good for us to hear from the volunteers. You know? Sometimes what happens is when yeah. parents are there, yeah. children being the sinful nature that they have, they behave themselves much better in front of them. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, when the parents are there, as opposed to when we leave, we do not know what, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, sometimes what's coming out in front of other people. We're open to hearing from the volunteers to see what we might do better. Yeah, you know, and then mm, mm.
1: especially
2: yeah. with an older kid to say, you know, the parents come to pick them up to say, hey, you know, Johnny struggled today with obeying and yeah. he's paying attention, and we had to talk a little bit about it. We would like for you, you know, you, we would love for you to talk to him about it. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you, as a parent, if you pick them up, occasionally you might ask, how did they do? How did they do in the class? What, what are you noticing? Um, yeah, it would be good for, for you as parents to ask those questions, too, not just wait on the report. Mm-hmm. So let me close us in prayer, and, uh, and we'll, we'll end for this week. Heavenly Father, we, we want to be people who obey you from the heart and not simply in a pharisaical way, try to uh, staple or hang good fruit on a tree that actually has uh, a bad root. Lord, we want our hearts to be changed. We know that uh, through the gospel, you've begun that work. You've given us uh, a new heart. You put your spirit in us. Although we still have our sinful nature, And um, we want to continue to grow and be transformed from one degree of glory to another, to be like your son, Jesus. Help us do that and help us teach our children to do that as well. In Christ's name. amen. 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 All right. Next week, we'll teach formative discipline, formative discipline, our words to their hearts.